Okay, I'm going to start by just asking you, uh, there was a survey done recently about the age of contentment. <laughs> At what age do you finally feel content in life? And people were kind of asked, you know, the things they were looking for, things like financial security, they think about getting, uh, having children, getting married, um, all those kind of things. And they came up with an age, which is the age of contentment. Any idea what that was? Okay, let's, let's have a little poll, should we do Should we do this? Okay, who thinks it's up to 20? Okay, anybody think 20? No, you're not content when you're 20. How about between 20 and 30? No, 30 to 40. Oh, there's a lady over there. Oh, there's a few people who feel, yep, most of you are way past it. Okay. Uh, 40 to 50, is that the age of contentment? Yeah, some of you are looking forward to that. Some said goodbye to that one a while ago. How about 50 to 60? Oh, look at this. People think you have to get to 50 to 60 before you find contentment. Man, that's like two-thirds of your life or even more of that gone, isn't it? Before you finally feel content. Um, and then we're going 60 to 70. Oh, look, yes, some people who look, yeah. Emma, you've got a long time to wait. That's all I can say. But um, actually, there's the statistics say 37. Yeah, and you're all going, I missed it. <laughs> it never happened in my life. So you're still going for that. And it was, yeah, it was based on this idea of people's ambitions, what they hope to achieve. And uh, obviously, they spoke to a lot of people who did achieve it. Um, as I say, a lot of us kind of still waiting, maybe, to find those things. But today, I want to talk about one man who had ambition. And that was the Apostle Paul. And his ambition was very, very simply, he says this, I want to know Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, because actually it's a very simple ambition. And yet, as a Christian, surely that should be our ambition. Um, it's never going to be totally fulfilling. There will always be more to understand and more to know, and Paul explains that in a minute. But actually, surely our goal in life will be to know Jesus, because when we know Jesus, that's when we find contentment and so you don't have to wait to 37 you don't have to you know 67 whatever age you can find contentment because you've come to know Jesus so we're going to look at that this morning um, I'm probably going to be off my notes so uh, we are going to look at the book of Philippians so if you have a Bible you want to turn to the book of Philippians um, it's Paul's, one of Paul's letters, it was wrote, written probably about AD 61, um, and it was written from prison, okay, it was one of his prison letters. It was written to a church who were doing really well, actually. He doesn't condemn them for anything. He doesn't say, oh, you've been really bad, you've been naughty, you just look at Book of Corinthians and he's constantly kind of hammering them for things they did. But this was a really good church. He was involved in plotting the church. It's found in Acts, I think it's 15 and 16. You can see how it started. But they were a great bunch of Christians. And his letter is just full of joy because of who they are and what they've done. And, but there was one problem happening in the church in, in Philippi. And that was there was a load of people who were saying, to be a real Christian, you need to be 
kind of uh, follow Jewish rules. You need to uh, observe the Sabbath religiously. You mustn't do any work on the Sabbath. You need, if you're a guy, you need to be circumcised. And there were loads of things they were saying, this is what you've got to do. And Paul is saying, no, you don't need any of that stuff. You just need Jesus. Okay, that's all you need. You need to have faith in Jesus, not all this other stuff that's going on. So in chapter 3, he starts talking about these people. And actually, what he does, he calls them dogs. And that's very harsh language in, in the time. It was really harsh to call someone a dog. If you were a Jew, uh, the Gentiles, people who are not Jews, they were called dogs. It was a really derogatory term. And Paul says, these people who are trying to make you do things that are Jewish religion because it was a non-Jewish community, they're dogs. Be careful of what they're trying to get you to do because you don't need to do it. So we have chapter 3, and I'm going to try and read. I think I'm going to read from verse 4 down to 14. So you just leave it there, Becky. Let's just get my computer up and smiling at me. Here we go. Okay. There we go. Philippines, you're there already. Even in your paper Bible, you're waiting for me, aren't you? Here we go. So he talks in verse 2 about those uh, dogs who evildoers who mutilated the flesh. Then he goes on. So he's talking about how we can get right with God. And then he says, basically, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And this was his Jewish background. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to go through that because that's a lot to take in. We're going to see what Paul meant when he uh, was, was kind of wrote all that. But let's have the first point, shall we? Paul's past. You see, he starts talking about what he was. And when you look at what he was, it was quite amazing. He was truly a very religious person. 
because he talks about uh, four things that he had and three things that he did. And he describes them in this way. Here we go. I've got to find it on here. I will find that. Firstly, he said he was circumcised on the eighth day, which meant his mum and dad were very strictly religious. They would have taken him to uh, the temple, to the synagogue, and had him circumcised on the eighth day. And that was the requirement of law. There were others who didn't get there in time, but his mum and dad made sure that he was circumcised on that day. He was from the people of Israel. He wasn't a mixed race. He was truly a descendant of Jacob and Isaac, but he was also of the tribe of Benjamin. And that was really important because they were like, they were like the posh people. Do you know what I mean? The posh people. The people who like live in Winchester. Okay? <laughs> Really posh. And they were, uh, if, you, if you know your Bible, King Saul, the first king of Israel, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He says he was Hebrew of Hebrews. His mum and dad were both Hebrews. And those are the four things that he had. Then there are three things that he did. He was a Pharisee. He was ultra-religious. They were a very devout sect. And they scrup- scrupulously. I've written that word there. I can't even say it. They really kept the law to the letter. Everything was very precise, and uh, they actually added to the law of Moses. So he was like super religious. And then he said, for zeal, persecuting the church. So as a Jew, as a Pharisee, their goal was to get rid of Christianity, because they believed Jesus wasn't the Messiah, he wasn't the Son of God, he was an imposter, and that Christianity was just a sect, and they wanted to get rid of it. So he was out there persecuting the church, Go to the book of Acts, look at chapter 8, chapter 9 onwards, and you'll see how, what great lengths he went to to get rid of the Christian church. And then he says legal righteousness. He followed, and it says he was faultless in this, he followed the law so precisely. If there was something you had to do, he would have done it. He would have done it to the letter. Okay? In this church, we're a bit relaxed, aren't we? But we like that, don't we? It feels like home. It feels kind of, you know, easy. But, but maybe other churches, and I'm not a criticism of any other church, maybe if you go to a different church, there is expectations on what you do when you walk through the door. You know, you bow and do this and do that. And, and he would have been like that. He would have followed everything that was required of him. He didn't miss anything. He said he was faultless in religious observation observance that's the right word and so this is where he starts and what does he say about this he says basically and the niv is very polite when it talks about this he says this is garbage this is rubbish that's interesting isn't it because he was following the law. But what he's saying basically is that to follow the law like I did never got me to God. Never got me close to God. Didn't mean that I was saved. He said it's rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. All this stuff he, he did. In fact, the word is not garbage. It's not rubbish. Um, it's dog excrement is what he wrote originally. Okay. Um, if you read the King James Version, it just says it's dung, okay? But most people would say it was dog excrement. 
That's what he considered what he was doing because it never got him to God. The only way he could know God was through the person of Jesus. And that's why in this church we keep going on about Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus this, Jesus that. Because we know the Bible teaches us that if we truly want to know God in our lives, we have to believe in the person of Jesus. And we know what happened to Paul. Paul had that uh, Damascus Road experience where he met Jesus face to face. And then he was uh, blinded. But he had that experience and he believed in Christ. And he looks at that point and says, do you know, all the stuff I did before that in my past never got me to God. It was when I met Jesus Christ that my righteousness became, I became right with God. That's when I received true righteousness, not doing all the other stuff. And that's the thing, isn't it? In our world today, so often we think about how can I, how can I know God? And very often we think about the things we've got to do when actually it's about relationship. Bless him, I just remember Alan was always talking to people about Christianity. Alan Ashby was always saying, it's about relationship, isn't it? It's not about all this stuff. And it's true. And I, I suppose I, I just want to start by just asking you a question this morning. Maybe you are trying to find God and get to God. And maybe you think, well, if I do this and I do that, then it's going to work. But the truth is we need to come to God in faith. And we've talked about this before. We just say to God, I'm sorry. Because that's what Paul was saying. Basically, I'm sorry for the stuff I tried because it didn't work. Thank you, Jesus, that you're ready to accept me. Help me to believe in you. So that was Paul. He starts off by starting all this stuff. It's rubbish. It's dog excrement. It's just no good. This is what I really want, and this, the next one is this, his present, and he says, and we got it up again, thank you, Becky, next slide. I hope it's there, yes. He says, I compare, uh, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things, I consider them rubbish. But then he says, this is what I really want. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. There's two Greek words for know. Okay. I think this is right. There is one word which is the word oika. Okay. Oika. And the other one is gnoskin. Okay, so go home, uh, impress all your friends that you've been learning Greek in church. Oika and Gnoskin. Now, Oika is what you do at school. You get knowledge at school, don't you? Although most of you, that was a long time ago. But, you know, we pick up knowledge. We, you know, we, we, we kind of go on Google and we want to know about this and that. And we get knowledge and we add to, you know, feed a brain. Um, and that's Oika. The other one is Gnoskin. And that is to know people. Okay, if we're going to get really intimate, in the Old Testament, it was all about sex. Because it was about, so we know in in the book of Genesis, Adam knew Eve. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We know what that means. But so, so when we go to the New Testament, the word genoskin means to know somebody. So I know Ashley. I know, I know Dave and Kirsty. I think I know everyone here. 
Well, I'm lucky. <clears throat> but some people I know more than others. And so what Paul is saying is, I want to know Christ. And I want to have a depth of a level relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to get to know him more and more and more. And to know his power, experience his suffering, and, and partake in his resurrection. So Paul is saying, this is what I really want. And I just want to sort of just throw it out there. Is that something that you want? To know Jesus. To know more of Christ. Because the truth is, we, we, we all have relationships with people, don't we? So, you know, the neighbour next door, um, I won't tell you her name, she lives next door, and we come out the house maybe at the same time together, we say, morning, um, I know, uh, you know, we know that she's got a daughter, she's a teacher. Uh, I shouldn't put this on the internet, should I? Because she might be listening. But, you know, there's, there's a certain level relationship we have with her next door. But when it comes to Ashley, I know more about Ashley than I do my next door neighbour. But I know more about my daughters and my son than I do about Ashley. And then I know more about Tracy than I do about everyone else. So there's that level of a relationship. You know, some people put it on a scale. You know, your neighbour's number one, your wife number 10, you know. And I'm just going to ask you this morning, where do you think you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you say you know him? Would you say you recognize his voice? Would you say you, 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 you understand what he's doing in your life? And as I preach up here, I find myself being really challenged by that. Because the truth is, we, we, you know, we think about our relationships with God. I became a Christian when I was 15. Now, that was a long time ago. How much have I grown in my relationship with Jesus Christ over, oh, let's put it out there, 48 years? I know, I don't look old enough, do I? Thank you very much. I was waiting for somebody to say that. But 48 years later, where am I in my relationship with God? Do I know him more and love him more? And I, do I recognize his voice? Do I, do I love God more? Do I know him? I was reading a, a little section by this guy who's a pastor. And uh, he said he got really challenged to read books on prayer. And he basically bought all the books from the... Uh, the, the, of the internet, Eden Bookshop, wherever it was. And he got these books and he read them all about prayer. And he said, I understand what prayer is all about. And he said, that was good. But then I did something else. I actually prayed. And I didn't just pray a little bit. He said, I learned to pray a lot. And all of a sudden, I found my my relationship with God got deeper and deeper and deeper. And the truth is, we, we can go through life and we can have a faith where, our, you know, where we just tick boxes and we come to church, we sing songs, we maybe listen to worship songs, we maybe listen to or, or read the Bible. But what about a relationship? And that's what Paul is writing about. He says, I want to know Jesus. And he talks about three things. He talks about the power of the resurrection. Sorry, he talks about the power. Uh, yeah, the power of his resurrection. Because when we read the Bible, what, what we see about the power of resurrection, that's, that's how Paul describes the power of God. He says, you know, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, it's, it's the power, the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's some power, isn't it? Okay? 
We're talking about having some solar panels on the church. Aren't we, Ash? Yeah. <laughs> He's excited. <laughs> but that's not power, is it? You know? Feed some into the grid, pay some of our bill. But that's not power. You can go down to the sea at the weekend and watch the sea and the waves come in. That's not power. The power of God is when he raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul's saying, I want to experience that power in my life. And here's a man who has actually raised the dead. He's the man who's seen great miracles. And he's saying, I want this. He said, I want more of the power of God. And I think we'd all say amen to that. Next, he says, I want to share in his sufferings. Oh, we don't like that bit. I'm surprised nobody's gone along and said, let's just edit the Bible, shall we? Let's just take that phrase out because who wants to share in suffering? Oh, I've got no takers today. But the truth is, at some point in life, we will all have some kind of suffering. Maybe emotional, physical, mental. Paul says, I want to share in his sufferings. And one reason I think he does say that is because he knows that when he is struggling, that's when God seems to be closest to him. And he says it in 2 Corinthians, uh, I think it's 15, he says, uh, says basically, when I am weak, then I'm strong. It's in my weakness I know the strength and the presence and the power of God. And so when we go through suffering, sometimes we say, oh, I don't want this. And we probably don't. But at that point, God says, I'm here for you. Draw on me, draw draw on my strength because I can bring you through. And then he talks about, uh, what's the last thing he says? Become, no, go back, go back, there we go. Uh, And uh, becoming like him in his death. Oh my goodness, he gets a bit more miserable, doesn't it? But what he's saying is, here's Jesus who was obedient to God every step he took. Even to the cross, I want to be like Jesus. I want to do what Jesus did. I want to be like him. I want to know him. And I I just throw that out there. Is that something that you deeply desire in your life? Or do you feel content with your Christianity? It's very easy to be content. But actually, there is always more to know and experience. The truth is, do we really want it? And are we going to go after it? The last thing we're going to look at is this. It says, Paul's future. Remember, this guy's in prison. And he's going to die. Okay? So, taking hold. And in verse 12 to 14, we see this interesting thing. That Paul says that uh, he hasn't actually obtained all this. So he's saying, you know, basically, I want to know the power of resurrection. I want to share in sufferings, and I want to to be like him in his death and and go to heaven one day, but I haven't achieved this. I haven't got to that place. And I think that's amazing. Here's the guy saying, actually, I haven't arrived. There is more to know and more to experience. And he goes on to say... um, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal 
to win the prize which Christ has called me heavenward. Interesting, he uses the analogy of a race and a runner. He says, I'm going to press on. I'm going to push on to win the prize. And I think what's really interesting is that what he's saying is that actually God's called me. He's got hold of me to do all this stuff. And we see that in the book of Acts. God grabbed hold of him, brought him out of this religious life, saved him. And then all of a sudden he was a missionary going and spreading the word all around kind of uh, Asia Minor, Europe. He said, God's taken hold of me, but I'm not finished yet. And I just think that's really encouraging. That actually God takes hold of us for a purpose. Used to be a song which sung, this guy sang about, I was rescued for a reason. And that is true of your life. If you're a Christian today, God has saved you and he has an amazing purpose for your life. And it's interesting, Paul, how much longer did he have to live? Not long. But he said, I haven't got there yet and I'm going to keep going till I've got what God wants me to do. And as I look around the congregation, <clears throat> I see a, a, a multitude of hair colors, by the way. And some of them have got the same color as me. Some of you have not got a lot of hair left at all. But even in our older age, God has purpose for us. God wants things. He wants us to do things for him. And it doesn't matter whether you're 16 or 96, God has a purpose for your life. And when the purpose is done, then you can go home. A bit like school days, when you had a job to do or a job at work, you can go home when the job is done. And maybe for some of us, we're just wondering what God wants for us. And I want to say to you, God has a purpose and a plan, a plan to use you. He has taken hold of your life for a reason. Maybe you're younger than that. You've got nice brown hair or blonde hair or you've got lots of hair. God has a whole purpose in front of you. And it's for us to discover the reason that God has rescued us. Because we are here in the world to make a huge difference. And we find out our purpose when we come to know Jesus Christ. And you know, it's reckoned that people who live with purpose do much better than those who don't have purpose. People who know why they're alive have direction, will do so much better mentally, emotionally, and of course spiritually. So, let's finish with my last slide, knowing Jesus. I want to know him, so what are you going to do about it? I'm going to show you another slide. This one, um, okay, yes, please. Oh, now I do have a video but I haven't put it on the screen. On Monday, um, we were following um, incidents down in Poole very closely um, as this little young man was arriving at Poole Hospital, um, delivered at 11.17, weighing in at six pounds, six ounces. His name is Sebastian William Bishop. That's nice, isn't it? 
He is my grandson. He's my first grandchild. Oh. Well, not just mine. I'll share it with my wife. Um, we had the pleasure of meeting Sebastian um, on third Friday. And I'll be honest, he's about this big and immensely cute. And so far, he's been the perfect baby. But as I held in my hand, I thought to myself, I really want to be there for you, Sebastian. I already love you. But what I want to do is I want to get to know you. And I want you to get to know me. So we might have a loving relationship that hopefully will last for some years. And I will do everything I can to love that baby, cherish him and encourage him and bless him in his life. Prayed over him as, as, he, as I held him. Because I want to know him. And I will do everything I can in my power to do that. And it just reminded me that we have Jesus Christ who says, I want to get to know you. He gave up his life. He died on a cross. And he sits in heaven wanting to know you. What is our response? Do we want to know him? And if we do want to know him, what are we going to do about it? Because relationships take time and they take effort. But when they are, when they work, they bring so much joy and happiness and love. And that is true of him. So today, my question to you is, what are you going to do about it to get to know him more? Are you going to spend time in his presence, listen to his voice, follow his commands? That's my prayer for you, but my prayer for me too. That as we move through life, that our relationship with God and Jesus Christ gets deeper and deeper. And we know him more and love him more and follow him more closely. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? The Bible says that Jesus is just a prayer away. I'm just going to give you a moment in your own space just to talk to God. Maybe today you just want to say, God and Jesus, I just want to know you. The things I've tried to build my life upon have not worked. And I need to you and I need to know you. And I want to experience your love and your presence. Lord, I thank you for the, the Bible passage we've looked at today. We thank you that Paul was a man and he was not perfect and he struggled just as we do. But we thank you that in his very heart, he wanted to know you. Lord, I pray for each of us. May we have the same heart as the Apostle Paul. 
to know you and to love you and to follow you. And I pray that you would help each one of us do that. May we know your power, your strength. May we hear your voice. May we walk in your ways. Lord, help us to come to know you more. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.